Welcome to the Bruh's Bookshelf, where we give you raw commentary on the books we love. On this podcast, you're going to be joined with me, Lennon Givens, Dr. Harvey Hinton III, Brother Donovan Snipe, and my daughter, Nakia Smith, as we review James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room. Enjoy. Go. Y'all ready? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Loading it up. All right. About to have blast. So today we have a special guest, someone who's been in my corner from day one. She's always been my biggest advocate. Even when me and her mom was at odds, she was always team Mr. G. It was through her where I first developed the experience of a love, a love shared between a father and a daughter. And if you heard our stories or seen our interactions, you would think that she was my firstborn, my flesh and my flesh, until she refers to me as Mr. G. (laughs) Without further ado, let's give a warm bruh's bookshelf welcome. Pretty girls wear 20 pearls, stinky pinky, fall 2019, the omega, the tail. The number 75, Miss Nakaya, a.k.a. Kaya Smith. Thank you for that lovely welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Kaya. I finally made it. I'm big time now. <laughs> You're on a big time podcast. Well, welcome to our very, very special guest. It's great having you here. I'm ready. So... So, y'all, what y'all think about this book so far? Man, this book really had me kind of sad for a little bit, which really we shouldn't be because, I mean, he told us the he told us what was going to happen at the very beginning of the book because the book does start at the end, but kind of just going through that process of meeting him, meeting Giovanni, and then just how that whole event unfolded. And that was super tragic. But overall, I enjoyed this book. I think it was well written. It was kind of interesting that this book was written so long ago because, I mean, it got published in about, about 1956, which probably means he, he wrote it a few years before then. And just, I mean, the subject matter itself is kind of controversial, definitely for that time. But, I mean, even some of the themes that they explored in the books are very, um, books felt, they felt kind of contemporary. like. These are some issues people are going through right now. So I I like this book. I'd give it a probably get an eight and a half out of 10. I went, I read the book twice. Um, So on my uh, second time around, I just like kind of sped read through it. And then I started, I had a better understanding. It was a better read the second time around. You get to notice like the little gems and the seeds that he drops throughout the book because at the second time around you know what's going to happen but if I had to to rate this book out of 1 through 10 <sighs> <laughs> what you going to say man you talking about James Baldwin man I know it you better get it right you better get it right. right if I had to rate this book <laughs> 1 through 10 I would give this book a 5 a 5? a 5 yeah I mean <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a great literary piece of artwork just a raw book reader just reading a book and just I've read better books 
I've read better stories, but I hadn't read, I never read a story that tackles these type of issues. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that tackles these type of issues because this is not my life. And <laughs> I've never been in a sphere where <laughs> I could experience this type of life. And, you know, reading the book, you can see why this type of life is very insular. Yeah. yeah gay life is definitely very insular, especially if you're gay and you don't want nobody to know you're gay. <clears throat> um, then your circle is going to be limited to, I don't know, straight passing people or people who are also trying to hold on to their their secret. <clears throat> Even though there's like a love-hate relationship, there's kind of like some understanding and some solidarity going on there right and even in that you can kind of tell by in the way that the characters were interacting with one another how people kind of didn't really fuck with Guillaume Guillaume I mean but they were still fucking with Guillaume so it's like one of those I can't really be separated from you but I also don't want to be a part of you um, which I guess is kind of the major theme of the book altogether because David had a part of him that he wanted to be separate from that he couldn't separate from without losing his humanity, really. Um, and thus, we have Giovanni's room. Man, um, you know, I used to teach Ed psychology, and there was this um, this reading method called PQ4R. And basically, you preview a read before you do it, then you question yourself on what it is you're about to read. Then you actually read it, reflect on what you read, recite it, and then you review it, kind of go back over it. Anyway, I had been doing that before I knew that method. So I, whenever I read something, I kind of use that type of approach. And um, this book did not meet my expectations at all. And um, I thought I loved James Baldwin. And I think I do as a, as a person. Um, but this wasn't the James Baldwin that I thought I knew, right? This was his art, artistic, creative side. And it took me to a space that was very uncomfortable. Um, for the listeners, we're talking about, you know, Giovanni's Room. And this is a, a book that's dealing with homosexuality, but it's not as raw. I knew that before I read it. And don't ask me why, but I was expecting some graphic, juicy stuff, and it just wasn't there. So that, uh, so that let you down. That let you down, Harvey. It kind of, it kind of let me down until I started going back and looking over what I just had read. This brother wrote this book in nineteen fifty-six. I was about to say man. that, bro. He couldn't get too graphic. He wrote it, <laughs> man. So I did a little research. People, uh, people didn't want to touch this book. I can see right. why they didn't want to touch his book and it took him a long time to get the book published. And at one time, I believe that they, they wanted him to change Giovanni into a woman. And he was Man, like, nah, nah, this, nah, it, nah. And I'm glad he did. I'm expecting. Because it would have taken so much away from the book. It would take everything away from it. I was expecting for, I was expecting him to be Giovanni. Mm. Because I'm just reading it wrong. I just read it wrong. Well, I want to go back to where you said how you rated the book of five. I'd rate the book at eight and a half. 
Woo! And I've read a lot of books <laughs> in my time, but books like how James Baldwin writes, how you said it was not graphic in the way you were thinking, it played out in my head. I could see everything that was happening in this book like I was there in 1956 watching these people go through what he's going through. I could vividly watch it. I thought I was watching a Netflix series. Oh, it was it was like watching Golden Girls. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I was watching Golden Girls, but the characters was Elton John and Eminem. Don't ask me why, but that's what I saw in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Elton John. Uh, who you think? I, you think jo- Jacques is Elton John? <laughs> if Eminem was David, and no disrespect to Elton John, you know what I'm saying? But David no, is I, Eminem. I didn't exactly. See Eminem exactly. And David. I saw more of a, a Matthew Conaghy <laughs> as David. I, I seen, I seen like, I seen but like I was the a, American. What is that guy? What is the guy name who plays Captain America? He's more of a Captain America. Oh, Chris, Chris Hemingway or something. Chris, Chris, Chris yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's who I saw. I envision. I mean, I was expecting. I like, like I said, I thought I went into the read expecting it to be about his experience in Paris dating some white guy and him just talking about the intricacies of this interracial experience. It was not that at all. We're talking about a black man in 1956 who wrote a story with right. no black the people in it. The only person that could have been black is Joey. Cause he said, but it, it could be, it could be all about black people. Go there with it. Go there with it. Let Before me hear that. We get into it. Cause we got to keep in mind that our <laughs> listeners never read Giovanni's role. So <laughs> maybe they so have. Let's kind of like tell the story a little these. bit, and then we're going to talk about the story. All right. So the book starts off with David as the main character reflecting back on his life, and kind of like this is where it all mm-hmm. began, and it all began with this childhood friend named Joey. He paints the picture of him and Joey on Coney Island hanging out. Uh, Joey's parents were gone for the weekend. They, you know, they planned, they did stay that. They take a shower, you know, a lot of laughs kind of like go kiki kiki and they kind of like fall on each other and then they don't like get off each other. They kind of like just stay on each other, right? <laughs> and that kind of, <laughs> and those scenes, that's how I knew that David was gay all along. You know, so uh, Joey got up and <laughs> said man I got bed bugs in the bed and David like oh you so nasty you have bed bugs and then they get the frolicking with each other and then next thing you know David describing some type of pain like this like this pain that's really really bad it's like one line though bro it's like now a faint and dreadful steering of what so overwhelming steering in me then great thirsty heat and trembling and tenderness so painful I thought my heart would burst. But out of this astounding, intolerable pain came joy. We gave each other joy that night. It seems then that a lifetime would not be long enough for me to act with Joey, the act of love. So he knew then their first experience with his first experience with a boy that he was in love with him. <laughs> but he knew that he was in love with Joey before they had that experience. I keep laughing, man, because I just, again, it's 1950s. I get it. When you look back at it, this is 1956, Jim Crow everywhere, and this black dude is writing a story about some gay white boys. Gosh. 
I mean, then he just takes the friends. Gosh, I, it's beautiful. I mean, it was, it was, it was. But that little line is nowhere near as graphic as this pussy is wet. Come and take a dive. Let's tie me up. I'm surprised. Let's role play. I disguise. Want to park that big back truck? Let's look around. You know what I'm saying? That shit's different. <laughs> you know that wop wop. Every time I'm reading this book, for some reason, I got wop going through my head. I don't know why. Because I was expecting something graphic and it just didn't. I agree. It was. It was the illustration was there, but again, it's 1956. So that little line, I, a couple of brothers I know that was reading the book with along with us, Lenny. They told me how they was cringing on those areas, and I'm like, bro, that was just one line, though. And they're like, man, I know, man, but it was it was hard for me to read that one line. <laughs> you know, actually, hearing you read that part again, I didn't even realize that was a, like a. Him talking about getting penetrated. I Not really just kind of glossed over no. that. I was just thinking, <laughs> I don't well, I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't realize that was, at least at the time, that that was him kind of just going over his, his tryst with Joey and how he made him feel physically. What was interesting, I think, you know, you start looking at these characters. Um, we're not supposed to, in a politically correct era, question people's sexuality and why and how they got that way um but there seemed to be a common thread between these men having a uh some type of um interaction with a woman that they just couldn't let go of whether it be their mother or their past lover something had happened to them traumatically that they were wrestling with and then this behavior becomes like their outlet of some sort and i don't know which one came with which one came first was it was it the feeling and then the experience with the woman and then back to this experience but it just seems as though that experience with the woman is an underlying commonality amongst all the characters that were mentioned in this text well if you go back in the book i kind of started in the beginning when he really didn't like his aunt ellen that kind of began to show like, okay, he doesn't really like women. After his mom died, he didn't really have a good relationship with a woman in his life. So then when he got to France and then we don't know how exactly he met Hella or how that whole relationship began, but she ended up leaving. And I felt that he took that as an opportunity to maybe be himself with a man. But when he's around a woman, he's somebody else. So I agree with what Harvey's saying, how he hasn't, being that he had a bad he had a bad go with a woman that now he's on moving on to men. But I think that he's been gay from birth. Right. In and, my opinion. I think it has little to do with his relationship with women and his lack thereof a relationship with his mother. And, you know, even in the book, it describes his nightmares of how he sees his mother with like wiry hair and worms coming out. You know, so but he also was told that she was this great woman that he couldn't he couldn't understand why this great woman was with his dad. You know, he he had he he had a vision of her as this great. He had heard so many great things about her. That he just couldn't understand that either. And nowhere in the book does he ever call a woman beautiful or anything like that. Yeah, no. he never described that way. his relationships, his intimate relationships no. with women. Is, if, it seems like it was a chore. 
And he made he made he made mention of that when he was with Sue. He said it was like going to work. I'm pretty sure David was feeling a little man frisky for a while. Um, <laughs> and I think these frisky. these situations that we are we've read about with, <laughs> I guess, different experiences with women. Um, but no, I don't think I don't think these experiences necessarily push them into the arms of a man. Um, they just kind of, I guess they kind of just illustrated the point that maybe being with a woman is not where it's at. David, he right. had an all right life to begin with, but there was just something about him that he wasn't comfortable with. And I think it even moves beyond his sexuality. I think David was just like a lost person trying to find himself in general. And that move to Paris kind of illustrates that. Yeah. He mentioned about the reason, uh, one of the reasons why he's, he's still in Paris because he's in Paris, so he can absolutely be free. You know, like when black folks first moved to Atlanta, like right. it's all new, right. it's popping, things are going on. You ain't got to worry about really too much because nobody here knows you. And then like everybody kind of just minds their business. He was running away to really run into a circle because, I mean, he just at the end of the story, he just really comes back confronted with himself. Um, Paris was kind of just like a. a an awesome distraction from himself. And, really. and, and I think his dad also established how he felt about David's private lifestyle without him even knowing that he was, it, it, what he was saying was a front to David private lifestyle, which further pushed him in the closet. And uh, when his dad said, listen, said my father suddenly from the middle of the staircase in a voice, which frightened me. And all I want for David is that he grow up to be a man. And a when Sunday I say man, teacher. Ella, I don't mean a Sunday school teacher. That's a black story. So <laughs> you can interpret that however you want to interpret that. I interpreted that as, you know, I want my son to be strong. I don't want my son to be, you know, a fairy. I think white male patriarchy is a curse. And it's, it's very difficult for white men to carry that burden. I think that was David's dilemma before it was, I don't think clearly he's talking about his sexuality, but I don't think that was his issue. His issue is what is he going to be as a person? And he can't find that yet. And he doesn't know what to do. And I think Paris gives him a place where no one's expecting anything from him. He, he cares about how he's perceived because he cares about what happens when he gets drunk and what he hears about what people says. And he kind of think he knows what people are saying. But at the end of the day, they don't know him. They don't they don't want anything from him. Whereas if he's in the States and he has his father around, he has some he has some memories of expectations that he might not be ready to accept. I think that's what the other I think that's the part about it, too, is that he's just totally avoiding responsibility. Yeah, I think that I think he's all right. So what you said, Harvey, is what most people go through. Uh, just people right. in general. It has nothing right. to do with your sexuality. But he's right. trying to juggle that and juggle this thing that he think is dark. He think is ugly. He think is dirty. And and every but it keeps pulling him in. And every time he he. He goes and he experienced this act. He don't look at himself. He looks at the person and say, look what you made me do. Oh, look what you've done to me. And you made me feel that right. way. He, that's what he felt like that about Joey. He had said right. something. He said it was after Joey 
the incident with Joey has shaken me so profoundly and its effect was to make me secretive and cruel. Well, I mean, you know, this small story with him and Joey, that should have let us know right there that David wouldn't bout shit. Because, I mean, it's one thing to, I guess, not be comfortable with your sexuality um, and want to hide it. But it's another thing to just be, I don't know, abusive and just nasty to somebody that you were just with. All as a way to kind of just save face and just make yourself not seem as gay around your friends. Because that's kind of what he was doing. Like, he was with his friends and he saw Joey and that he just... I don't know. I guess he saw a weakness or he perceived a weakness in Joey um, that could be transmuted to him. And so what did he do? He just started being abusive. Um, so David ain't really worth shit, as we can tell from this story. And he doesn't really develop into a full fledged person until really the end. Um, and even then, I'm not really sure because he's just kind of in a space because he has to be there like He's alone because nobody wants to be with him and the people that wanted to be with him have now left the planet. So, I don't know. David and David kind of let us know who he was right from the beginning. Um, I have something to say how you said that his dad instilled the man in him, the men. How did they be Back in the book, it says when him and Giovanni were arguing towards the end of the book, he said, but I'm a man. I cried a man. What do you think can happen between us? He's trying to understand. He's trying to get Giovanni to understand that in his head, a man and a man together will never work because a man needs to always end up with a woman. Like his father told him in the beginning that he wanted his son to grow up to be a man, and he kept, he's been stuck. Like him and Hella keep talking about getting married and having kids. When in the end, he's trying to get to the point where he thinks mm-hmm. that'll make him a man by having a wife and having kids and having that lady with him all the time. But I think he was using that to try to not not blame himself like you know you know what i'm trying to say mr g like he's not trying to fully see his problem and fully see who he wants to be with so he's trying to say that he's supposed to be a man he's supposed to be a woman and he's trying to trick his brain into mm. that's what he's supposed to be in all reality he's been in love with a man right and been in love with men his and whole I life i think that in this book back then and even today your sexuality and your and your gender are two separate things you know, I know people are going to be rolling their eyes at me. But just because you gay don't mean you're not a man. Right. And I think that... That's the James Baldwin that I love, right? Go ahead. <laughs> I think people always try to put there what they think is... What they think that, what a man is supposed to be. And the they try to put it on other people. And then you have this guy like David who's listening mm-hmm. to his dad. His dad's perception of what he think a dad, uh, what a man's supposed to be, and he hear his dad saying, "I want my son to be a Sunday school teacher," but his dad don't really know that it's mm-hmm. pushing his David aunt, farther away from David's him. David's aunt was getting at his David dad talking about coming in the house to drunk find after he with these women. I know where you been, <laughs> your son. What kind of son you think that he wants to see his dad walk around like that? That was interesting to me. Exactly. He's like, what? <laughs> David had no clue. <laughs> he had no clue what was going yeah, on. Yeah, but David did say I didn't even know my dad was doing that until she yeah. ran him out. Then his dad started to fucking overshare. Like, oh, wait a minute, Dad. He after he found out, right. his, like his, he fa- said, his father started this. Uh, like he was saying, like they kind of just became a little 
to sharing. Like he just started letting know every aspect of his life. And as he's like, you know, after a while, he's like, I don't want you to be my, like my buddy. I, I, I right. want to be my dad. I want like there to be boundaries between what you do and what I see because, you know, he had, he had the same feeling about, um, the other dude, the other, his gay, the gay older guy he was fooling with and how, you know, he was like, I didn't want him walking around naked and I didn't want, I didn't want to exactly. see that. I don't want to, I don't want no foretelling of what right. my future might be like if it's going to, if I'm going to be like these guys. <laughs> <laughs> David said, uh, as it relates to his dad, he said, perhaps he has supposed that my growing up would bring us closer together. Whereas now that he was trying to find something out about me, I was in full flight of him. I did not want him to know me. I did not want anyone to know me. And then again, I was undergoing with my father what the very young inevitable undergo with their elders. I was beginning to judge him. Mm -hmm. So he was distancing himself from his dad and starting to judge his dad. Mm -hmm. I mean, but you know, I think a lot of people go through that. In a Western, in a Western society, I think that is what happens. You you, you um, come come to a point where you're questioning your parents, sizing them up. Exactly, but like I don't think we should overlook the fact that it's not just what he thought his dad or his family would think. Like it's the '50s. People thought about what right. people thought about them all the time. Like, and that's just not even constrained to just uh, like the and a highly oh, sexually repressed a repressed yeah. era. That's just like know? another layer on top of it. Like right. You kill all cornflakes to make you not have sex and go to sleep at night. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Like, but even you when know, he was open with a, with gay people that were open with their sexuality, he was still trying to stop himself from being gay. Exactly. He was just trying to pull himself off. Yeah, he was like, "Well, maybe if I just kind of be around it, but not in it, I can maybe get, beat it." But like, that's not a thing. And but. Man, what do you think about James Baldwin saying them sailors was up in that bar? Yeah, Man, that's what, uh, <laughs> he said he was running through them. <laughs> he put them sailors. Why, why you put the sailors in that James Baldwin? Lead the lead the service men out of it, man. Come on, yeah. now, James Baldwin. Because that's what they they joined the service. I, I'm, I'm going to read this line. It's not about the sailors, that's but it goes into like the thought of David's head. And that's one of the things that James Baldwin did so beautifully in his writing. Like he he really penned this book. He said. I decided to allow no room in the universe for something which ashamed and frightened me. I succeeded very well by not looking at the universe, by not looking at myself, by remaining in effect in constant motion. Even constant motion, of course, does not prevent an occasional mysterious drag, a drop like an airplane hitting the air pocket. And there was a number of these, all drunken, all sorted, one very frightening, such drop while I was in the army, which involved a fairy who was later court-martialed out. So, remember, he went to Paris. Didn't he go to Paris from the army and then he ended up staying there? Or did he get out the army and then he ended up, he landed in Paris? I really couldn't. He got out and then he landed okay, there. Okay, he got out and landed there. But like at the end yeah. of uh, chapter one, he talked about him being involved. They called I guess they call other gay men fairies. Um, right. Yeah, that's an old term. Yeah. It's like Paul it's kind of funny, he... man, because it, it's funny how he uh, how he describes Jacques as a fairy with bad teeth. 
Mm-hmm. And just be walking around with like a gown on, just ready to move, mm-hmm. just ready, 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 ready. <laughs> but um, he's a nasty bastard, right? <laughs> I also like how you was talking about those sailors. There was two point. There was two times in the book where he wasn't thinking about it, but then he caught himself staring at a man passing as they were walking the streets. One mm-hmm. time he did it with Giovanni. And Giovanni looked at him and kind of laughed, was like, yeah, you be trying to act like you straight or parade around <laughs> like you're a straight man and talking about this hella girl, but you up there checking other men out. Then there was uh, another time where a sailor passed him on the streets and mm-hmm. his heart was jumping out his chest, you know, because he, he found himself like so attracted that, to him and looking at him with love eyes. And he felt the same. That bow and that hat, ooh, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Some shoes, ooh. <laughs> Them shoes. My bad, David. My bad, David. I bet you I can put a spit shine on them shoes that you will never forget. That'll make your eyes go blind. <laughs> yeah man oh, David man, was a trip man. man you know what it, it, I was reading this book and I was just feeling real grateful that I don't have to deal with that another layer on top of trying to find myself or another layer let me, let me, of let me shine some light on what you just said let me let me let me not let me shine a light on that so one of the things again we're not supposed to question people, but I've had a lot of experience um, um, in developing young men in conversations with them about their sexuality. And just one of the things that has come to the surface from my conversation is that there is no, no perceived advantage of gay black men to be gay. None. I've I've heard from... The heterosexual world about how gayness is a choice and how somebody can turn you gay and some very strong attitudes towards gayness. These brothers have never once said this was an advantage. So when you say that, Lenny, like, let's balance that out with that understanding. That that when you say that, that's not a privileged thing. That's it's it's a that's coming from a different space, I believe. You know? Man, because I, I look at it like this. All right, let's let's unpack this. James Baldwin is pretty much saying you have an all-American blonde hair, blue-eyed white boy that's military. And if he's finding it hard within himself imagine being black a black man in America imagine what he's going through on top of Jim Crow I was just thinking about that (laughs) reading this book man because I was like man this guy is confused he's dealing with it's it's funny when you say it that way Lenny because I was I saw more of the first part right I saw I'm trying to understand James Baldwin all over again because what I read was an angry black man writing a white gay story. And let me let me embarrass you fuckers. Let me show you let me show the world how fucked up y'all minds are. You know? Because the story that he told 
I resonated with it in the sense of some people who I've met when I was in graduate school. So like the attitude like that, he captured, you know, like that's that, that time when Giovanni's like, I don't believe in this nonsense about time. Time is just coming. It's like a fish for water. Everybody's in water. No one gets out of it. That whole thing. Like, man, I seen these queer dudes try to come with this postmodern, um, you know, questioning of things that, you know, they 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 want to question this notion of freedom, right? They want to question what does it mean to be out of bondage. But again, I'm gonna go back to that previous point I made when you re- reveal the onion, peel back the onions. None of this is coming from a root of man. I'm so happy I am this. I am so happy Hell that I no. feel this way. <laughs> None of it's coming from there. <laughs> nah. <laughs> we, that's like the crux of the story. Like the whole story is about this thing about me that's true about me. It's horrible about me. Everybody thinks it's horrible. I think it's bad. Society thinks it's bad. I know what the proper thing is to do. The proper thing to do is to live your life a little bit, get married, have some kids, and live and die. That's what I'm supposed to do. But I can't do that if Giovanni over here with his dark eyes looking at my face naked <laughs> and like I'm just trying to get taken tonight like I can't like these two things are in this dirty I ass room I can't be my full self so therefore I, I can't really be a person so that's I think that's why it was kind of easy for him to be as cruel as he was throughout each experience because it's like if he if he started feeling too much like if he got too intimate then like like the reality will start to set in like that reality is not something he could really ever face. So what does he do? Well, I'm going to get this girl that I'm going to string along and we're going to date, but I don't really have to date her because luckily she's not in the same town, but when we together, we together, but when we ate is something else. But what do you find to say? The little moon face girl that think yeah, babies come from cavities. Think babies come from cavities. Round face ass girl you got. And you know what's so crazy? That that reminds me of women when they be talking about like your ex or, or some girl that like right, you or you right, kind of right. like, and they be dissing them, that old moon face girl. Exactly. That's exactly what that was. And it's like when Giovanni's like that don't even make sense. Like you don't even like her. Like so just. Abandon that life, and he's like, "Niggas, you crazy? It's 1942." <laughs> hey, man, I go to jail. <laughs> um, I want to go back to the room. All right, somebody let's go back okay. to the room. Um, I think the room is kind of a metaphor for David himself. He's Giovanni when they were arguing. Giovanni when David called the room dirty and messy and not wanting to be in the room anymore. But the whole time, Giovanni was trying to make the room comfortable for David. Mm-hmm. The whole time, David was trying to run away from the room. So when he was arguing, going back and forth with um, Hella, and he was like, I just knew I had to get out of Giovanni's room. He knew that leaving that room, he would, could no longer be his true self. When he's in that room, that's who he really is. So he thought that getting out of that room would make him not be his original self and mine. But uh-huh. even when he was in the room, Kaya, nice. he was still that's guarded. Nice. Yeah, because he can't even in the room. He was still guarded. You remember Giovanni was like telling him he was like, you know, you'll be looking out or we'll be making love. And I knew you were making you wasn't making love to me. He said he said, I'm not saying that you told a lie, but you never told me the truth. He said um, in the book, in the beginning, at first, the room didn't bother him. But the longer he's in the room and been in the room with Giovanni, the more the room became more uglier and disgusting by the day. 
So the longer he stayed in there and figured out, oh, this is really who I am. I'm, I'm stuck here. I really want to be here, but this is not where I think I should be. That's when he realized, okay, I need to get out of here. Yeah, because now I'm going to get stuck in this lifestyle and this ain't where it's at. So, so, so you're saying some of that calling it disgusting and nasty was his just projecting something to make him convince himself that he needed to leave. Stay there forever. You know what? This is another thing. I want to get back to the writing style of James Baldwin. Uh, Baldwin. That was times. Uh, 1956. Yeah, man. <laughs> he said uh, there was there, uh, when we was talking about him not wanting to come out. He said, uh, "Let me go back." He said, "I wrote to Hella, telling her nothing, or I wrote to my father asking for money, and no matter what I was doing, another me sat in my belly, absolutely cold with terror over the question of my life." I, mm. That was a cold line, man. And that was also this line when he was describing his outing with Giovanni. And if you notice, this is the very, this is the only time that we could, the only time that Baldwin describes David really true emotion of love when he was like, and I realized that such childness, that, that such childness was fantastic at my age and the happiness out of, excuse me, the happiness out of which spring yet more so for that moment. I realized I loved Giovanni who had never seemed so beautiful than he was that afternoon and watching his face. I realized that it meant much to me that I can make his face so bright. I saw that, that I might be willing to give a great deal not to lose that power. I felt myself flow towards him as the river rushes. And when the ice breaks up yet at that very moment, there passes between us on the pavement yet another boy, a stranger. I invested in him as once with Giovanni's beauty and what I felt for Giovanni, I also felt for him. Giovanni saw this in my face and made and it made him laugh. And the more I blushed, he kept laughing. Then the boulevard and the lights of the sound of the laughter turned into a scene from a nightmare. So he's in there. I, that ain't the part that I wanted to... Um, read i think i think it was about they was throwing berries at each other like spitballs but anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> but when i was reading that part man you love know spitballs i mean they was love of spitball yeah, they won't yeah, like yeah, they was they uh, won't like homeboy like third graders you just yeah, just trying to yeah you know hit love. your man bah, bah. Yeah. Nah, these, these was love it. but you know man, let me, this is what i want to say What's up? all right it's always been said that luther vandross was gay Right, <laughs> he never came out and said it, so I'm not saying that he was. I'm just saying it was like r- rumbling and bumbling around that. Right, he never he never said it. He said he would take away from his fan base to address that conversation. Right, definitely. Even with That's, that, that being that said, was his response. Even with that being said, when you hear his music, love has truly been good to me. But anyway. You don't think of a gay man, oh, he could be talking to another man. You just think about love, right? Okay. When Baldwin was writing about David's love for Giovanni, there was times where I didn't think as a heterosexual man that he's talking about a man loving another man. 
it was written so beautiful and non-direct where it was just love. And he did a really good job in moving away from the sexuality and just targeting what it really was at its core. It was just love. And I guess that was my disappointment. Oh, okay. You was expecting a toy novel? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why, but yeah, I was. I mean, I'm just we just so turned we just so turned up. You know what I mean? Man, but then here's a, here's another little this, subtlety that so Baldwin put in there. <laughs> when he was describing um Hella, he called her handsome. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because she's a manly chick. He's a gay dude. He's only going for mediocre looking chicks. Just like he was hoping Sarah. that she was gonna come off that boat fly. She done cut her hands, shit. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah talking about shirt on. She ain't even fly. She, she, she come like she just spent some mopping floors. You're like, damn, yeah, might look better than you. I, you know, I, I view this book as he did all the women in this book wrong by dragging them along all the way until the end just to mm. destroy them. And he also did the same thing to Giovanni, but he took more. He felt bad for hurting Giovanni, but didn't feel bad for hurting Hella. And that didn't sit right with me. Because I think he didn't sit bad for hurting Hella because I think deep down inside, he felt Hella really wasn't that into him. And Hella was just using him to to get married and have children. She because she was, took off like because they had that him. discussion about. Yeah, there was there was both each other's beards. Yeah, she didn't want to go back this. out in them streets. Don't send me back out in them streets. Them niggas are savage. They savage. <laughs> I, I went down. I went down to Italy and yeah, this man tried to stick the sun on me. <laughs> I was like, you little young bull. The Spaniards are so horny. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. She yeah. was telling him about the little boy. She was like, boy, you too, you, boy, you too young, boy. You too young. But she had, you know, she did not want to go back out there. So she was definitely wanting that beard protection. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, get me out these streets. Yeah, because I think the whole... I, I think the whole female perspective from that period is like, if you a woman, you can't just be out here single. So at a certain point, you got to get attached to some man. So like they kind of, they kind of fulfilled that role for each other. Like he was somebody she could attach herself to, but not really. And he could kind of do the same thing with her. Like I, I got a woman, so I don't really have to be attached to this idea that I'm in this full fledged relationship with this Italian in Paris. So. I think for a while that served its purpose until they both kind of came to the realization is like, this ain't real, so it ain't gonna work out. Like, well, she, her, her more so than it him. It never like, seemed real, even at the beginning of the book, man. He never wrote anything about anybody gleaming in each other's eyes when they were around. It was almost like a, a <laughs> friendship, and it was a convenience, like. We was friends and we had sex and I guess we were supposed to be together. You know, it's nineteen fifty. Yeah, that's exactly nineteen fifty. You know, so I, I there was she lived, she lived down the street. <laughs> was there any part in the book where you read that they had like a like a very intimate love for each other between Hella and David? Not exactly. Well, now that you're explaining it, no. But going back, like, and from my perspective, when I first read the book, I thought he had a love for her, but not exactly 
a deep love, but he did love right. her in a way. Listen, listen to what you said. He just wasn't. You in said love with her. a no. love for her. Like when you in love, you take the a out. You would say, "I thought he loved her." A love for somebody mean I kind of like you, like you my fake lady. But my lady, lady, I love my lady. He told Hella that he loved Giovanni. Yeah, because Giovanni. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's back it up. Let's he back thought Giovanni beautiful. Back it up. Right. Let's let's back it up. When mm-hmm. they bumped in, uh, they bumped into each other at the bookstore. They say women know. <laughs> Dad, dog, that's <laughs> dog. In the bookstore, man, it seemed like it seemed like they uh, it seemed like she knew, and she was just trying to piece it together. But then once they at the end, she was acting all surprised. You know what I mean? But why was Giovanni acting surprised when David actually left? He knew he was going to leave eventually. Yeah, but he didn't think it was going to be abrupt. He thought it was going to at least be like, hey, my girl's in town, so I'm not going to be coming in the room. So, you know, it's been real. He didn't even do that. He just fucking ghost. And, and the sad thing about it was he knew that Giovanni was destitute. Giovanni spent his last on David. Hmm. And David got ghost on Giovanni. But when Jock saw David at the bookstore... I was thinking like <laughs> I was like, oh shit. And she started asking all those questions. And every time she asked a question, man, I was like <laughs> I was like, she's finding out. She's finding out. Dog, she was asking all the right questions. And then she when they got they left. She was like, now, how did you meet Giovanni? <laughs> you give him a different kind of attention. So h- how exactly did y'all start staying with each other? <laughs> we, should go to, we should go to dinner. <laughs> we should go yeah, to dinner. Yeah, yeah, we should invite him to dinner. He seems very, we should go to like dinner. a very interesting person. Because <laughs> she was with it. At first, I thought she was about that three-way life. I thought that's what she was going she with at first. No, nah, I, I thought that she knew. I thought that she was on to something. But then she was like, you know, I'll just go wherever you go. And I was like, man, does she know? Is she naive or does she know? That's when I started thinking that she was, he, she, she, she was, she wanted to be the beard. She wanted, she wanted, she knew and she was okay with it. So I was taken back uh, on how mad she was. Because she didn't know. She thought it was something else. She didn't know. All right, you said she did a woman. What what else could it have been? Because dudes like nigga, y'all gay. You you in a gay bar? You you with this known fairy? I don't think she uh, wanted Jacques to see it. Makes it no 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 secret. I don't think she you living to see with it. this dude? Dudes would have started putting that together like right away. Instantly. What, what is it in a woman's head that would have been like no 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 no? Explain that to me, Nakaya. How she could not have known or didn't want to accept it. She knew there was something wrong with David. She knew something was bothering him, but she didn't exactly know what. And she thought eventually at the end, he was going to tell her. But she, I think she was mad because he didn't tell her. She found out on her own. So she probably would have acted differently to the situation if he sat down and had a conversation with her about everything. But he didn't. He just ghosted. Right. I had to uncover this dirty truth. Got me out here looking stupid. What part do you think she found out when she walked up on him at the gay bar? I think she had ideas, but then she like 
her ideas were 100% the truth and facts when she walked up on him in the bar. He said, I saw Hella's face. I thought for a moment that I had gone mad. I turned. <laughs> she looked very tired and drab and small. For a long time, we said nothing to each other. I felt the sailor started staring at us both because he was talking up on some with the sailor when she walked in on it. I mean, he was all he was he was gaming the sailor. They was about to kiss. They about to do something. Um, who is this chick? She, uh, hadn't she gone to the wrong bar? He finally asked me. This was the sailor asked him, like, "Who is she? She must be at the wrong place." <laughs> That's not the only thing I got wrong. She said. Now the sailor stared at me. Well, I said to Heather, "Now you know." She said, I think I've known it for a long time. He said she was extremely cold and she was bitterly handsome. But he couldn't wait to go back out of town. But she should have known when they was at the bookstore and Giovanni <laughs> said, home. And he, he said, crying. Yeah, crying. Yeah. What yeah, you do like, to him? No, what is this problem? <laughs> right. Yeah. Did he eat his ass? Like, like, what happened? As a man, <laughs> y'all, as men, we know <laughs> that you're not going to get that response from a man and him trying to be keep it together and be cordial with you. That is how a side chick act when <laughs> you've been lying to your side chick telling her that you, right. you out the door with your lady and she next. She put it all out on the line for you. Then you tell her, look, I'm about to get engaged to her. All that shit you've been talking to me about her. And she's just looking at you and you showing off the <laughs> ring and she's trying to act like she's your friend oh, and ain't nothing going on. And she's trying to put on this <laughs> fake smile. Yeah. So Giovanni was acting like a girl. That's why Dave was like, what, you want me to be the girl? Dave was like, shit, I ain't about to be the bottom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've been the bottom the whole time. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're, they're hanging out <laughs> in a blue oyster bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because they was always eating oysters. And you know what? For them to be so okay, you know about that blue oyster bar. Food, them niggas always was drinking. <laughs> exactly. And he kept some cognac in the house. <laughs> Yo, man, man, here's the deal, though. Man, they drinking the like sailor. She was drinking like sailor. After he, he left oysters. from Hella, right? You remember oh, he said nice. that they, him and Hella went out, and he had a, a little too much to drink, and she went her way. Obviously, and he went his way, and that's when he had that final conversation with Giovanni in his room, and Giovanni was just sitting on his bed naked. So mm -hmm. that's another way I knew that they mm -hmm. weren't together. Man, let yeah. me tell you something. If your lady went out of town for four months or however long she was gone on a trip and you you didn't get to FaceTime her or nothing, the only thing y'all had was about two or three letters. They didn't know that back then. Right, okay. What I'm saying is y'all only communicated with letters. <laughs> when she gets back, Y'all gonna be so hot and heavy that y'all not gonna want to leave each other, and you gonna tell you gonna be like later with your homeboys. Y'all, gonna... she apologized to that man. She said, "I'm sorry that I'm having you leave the bar with your friends. I don't want your friends to get upset at me." That was, that was like the first that, night. That yeah, that, mean, that was yeah. like day one. So it was like that I mean, David was having on. time. To, David ain't had no job. David had it all. Hell wrong. ain't had no job. He had it all wrong. Ain't nothing to do. Dog, they went out drinking instead of him taking his drunk self back home to his lady. He went to go see Giovanni, and where was Hella? Back at the room waiting or twiddling her thumbs. Or, 
Or with some Spaniard. <laughs> Getting it in. <laughs> with some Spaniard. She's what is it about the Spaniards? You <laughs> know what it is. That more. <laughs> Is it is it just the test of all Spaniard men? Like, what is it? <laughs> Let me find out. Nikaya, do you still think that he was bisexual? Yes and no. Yes, because why did he constantly keep going back to these women and having sex with these women if he didn't like it? Because that's what society tells me to do. Listen, you know how many gay men are married right now? Yeah, he thought that's what he was supposed to do. He did say that he liked it. Listen, even after he got drunk, even after he got drunk and got all in his feelings about it, he would still go out and find these women when he could equally go out and find these men. But I'm not trying to be gay right now. I'm, I'm scared of being gay. Let me, let me, hey, you with the jeans. He was finding the men. You <laughs> hella rolled up on him, pulling a, a sailor. <laughs> At the end, <laughs> in the beginning, that's why he went to Sue. And he hit Sue Perron, and he was talking about, oh, I hope she don't get pregnant. Exactly. <laughs> 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 He's like, what the hell I'm going to do with a baby from Sue? <laughs> exactly. Now I got to marry her? Mm-hmm. Sue ain't even all that cute. Risque, risque, risque. <laughs> Nikaya, didn't you say that Giovanni, his hands wasn't all clean neither because he walked out on his wife? Did. He walked out on his wife and his mother after he just lost his child. And he spat on Jesus. Don't forget, he spat on Jesus too. He said, fuck all of this. That's what I'm saying, man. Those traumatic experiences, man. I I don't, that's what, again, we're not supposed to question why, but that's what what disturbs me about this text is that, again, none of this is coming from a a genuine feeling. All these brothers have had a traumatic experience involving women. Bruh, but I can't say that that made Giovanni gay. Giovanni was all the way in, bro. I'm not saying that, but G- I'm just yeah. Giovanni being gay, and I think I think that stillborn baby gave him an out. He was like, "All right, I can go. Let me go lead the country and go be myself." How you how you come to that conclusion? Because the way Giovanni moves, man, and how he <laughs> just gave it up. I think he was looking for a reason to leave. I don't think he was looking for a reason, but I think he probably took it as a sign. Like, let me try to do the right thing. And, and live my life like I'm supposed to. Yeah, and then he go life telling me, yeah, you did the right thing, but let me give you this. Ha ha. And he's like, well, fuck that. Yeah, think about this. If you are gay and you engage in heterosexual sex, that's almost the equivalent of me having gay sex just to fit in. Mm. That's exactly what it is. Dog, that's heavy, mm. bro. Wouldn't that be forced and labored for you? It wouldn't happen, Donovan. Well, because it don't have to happen. <laughs> it doesn't have to happen. The right. expectation. I fall yeah. into the, the norm. The expectation isn't for you. <laughs> Were there no black people in France back then? <laughs> not in this story. Were they not letting the bars? That's what I'm saying, man. That's what makes this story so dope to me. Like he's just to yeah, me, he's playing a game. Like I want to go back to that. I think he's, I think he's slandering white people. I think he's making it his point to slander the image of the white masculine male. He was, he was broke. He was broke back in their ass before broke back. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was putting it in their face. Um, 
I just don't think the story would have gotten released if the characters were black. I don't think black people would have went for it because I mean, it's nineteen fifty six, bro. That's when it got public, so it was written like in the forties, probably. Who would have bought a book about black gay men in nineteen fifty six? Not no god fearing Christian black person in the South. No, nobody. <laughs> At least you had a chance with white white men being gay. Exactly. Especially in Europe. I, I didn't do any homework on this text. Like, like I, I'm, I'm going to own that. I read this text for the first time ever and um, in 2020. And I still have a whole lot of homework to do. I'm curious how this text was received. And um, Lenny, you said it, it took years for it. But I, I can I can imagine so. It kept getting rejected. I, I, I imagine so. And I just, I just his body of work and the, the things that I know him from or what I thought I know of him. I mean, he's not your Negro. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't your Negro. You know, so so you, you, you're saying that had he wrote a black queer story, it wouldn't have flown. And that's more palatable. You know what I mean? We can, we can stomach. Man, it, this is that's definitely wild, a man. black story told in whiteface because, I mean, all of the things that's going on in this story, it just, uh, it just seems like black gay stuff. <laughs> with white freedom yeah which i guess you couldn't have had back in the 1950s jim crow era america but yeah this is this is a black story but i can tell it is it's written in a white face just Mm -hmm. because um black people wouldn't have accepted this story i mean white people really didn't want to fuck with this story either but like we talk about southern christian brimstone and fire blacks of the 50s definitely not going to be accepting of the story even though the story happened multiple times during that time with many different black people what do you think the overall thing and the takeaway that the great james baldwin was trying to convey in this book nakaya that you can't run away from yourself your true self mm. oh that's pretty no much how it. far you go that's yeah. it <laughs> And, w- and what happens if you try to run away from yourself? Well, you try? It's like Chris does. You're going to run in? Yeah. In tragic things. You're going to get lost more and more. You're going to get taken advantage of. And it sounds like a path Trash for destruction. Tragic. <laughs> and Donovan, mm-hmm. what, happens, what happens to the people surround you while you're trying to run away from yourself? Uh, well, they fall, they fall victim to your inhumanity and your terror. Mm. in that inhumanity um, they never actually get to be with you Mm. it's just an idea of you that you're kind of painting for yourself or painting for them Um, so they kind of miss out on the gem that you might actually really be thank you for listening to the bros bookshelf if you have any questions or feedback please just hit us up on instagram at the bros bookshelf or email us at the bros bookshelf at gmail.com you can support us by listening sharing and subscribing also look out for the bros bookshelf merch which should be posting pretty soon our next book is brent bennett's the vanishing half it's a story about twin sisters growing up in a southern town where all the black people look white and one of the sisters leaves to live as a white woman we're going to be tackling colorism, racism, and much more. The Bros Bookshelf Way. Thank you for listening. Bye.